Welcome to Too Much Not Enough, a podcast about the obsessions of two very intense people. I'm Darius Hazemi. I'm Emma Winston, and today we're going to talk to you about mobile music. So we're talking about electronic production on mobile phones and tablets. Yes, we are. All right. I don't know how common a thing this is. There isn't really a coherent scene like some of the music episodes that we've done and I guess part of the reason that I wanted to do this is to let people know about what's possible because I'm not sure how popular a thing it is. I went and tried to find out the history of mobile music specifically for this and I have a friend Ashley Elston who runs a blog about mobile music making which is called Palm Sounds and which I think has now been subsumed under the website Create Digital Music and he is like the oracle on this stuff. So he started his blog in 2006 so like well before the iPhone or anything, at which point he was really into making music on Palm OS devices. And there's some really, really interesting stuff. Oh my God. My first phone was a Palm. <gasps> oh my God. I've no- I don't think I've ever seen one in person. Oh wow, yeah. I've only seen them through his blog and they look really, really cool. And it looks like you actually could do loads of interesting music-based stuff on them. Yes. Do you speak from experience? No, but I, you could do all sorts of interesting things on a Palm. So there's no reason why you couldn't. You could make interesting music on a Commodore 64, you know, like why not a Palm? Apparently there was enough of a music scene around Palm OS that someone started developing an alternative operating system for it, which was entirely focused around like turning it into a tiny music studio. But apparently they never finished it, which is a shame. And so when Palm started to go out of favor, Ashley started promoting mostly iOS music, but also Android music. And Mm -hmm. he is still very into it. I got into it completely by accident. So the reason why I count it as an obsession, I think, is because there's no way I would ever have started producing music without being able to do it on a phone or an iPad. Like, I was just too terrified and overwhelmed by it to even start. And it was kind of a gateway into that. I think a lot of the synths and things that I use are like tiny and battery powered and definitely would fall under the the mobile music label, but I kind of don't think of them as being quite the same thing because what was interesting about and what still is interesting about like making music on a phone for me is that if you impulsively decide that you want to make music one day having never done it before... If you have a smartphone, you can, right? regardless of what the smartphone is. You don't have to commit in the same way as you do. Yeah, yeah. you don't go out and buy a device that costs $300 or whatever, and if you don't use it, you've wasted that $300. Yep. You instead buy a device that costs, what, like $900 or something now? How much is a phone? I don't even know how much yeah, is a phone Yeah, I mean, costs. it depends. If you get a low-end Android, it can be $100, but the point is that you probably have a smartphone anyway. Yeah. So it's there's not actual cost beyond maybe buying the app. Yeah, and many of them are free. You can make pretty good music on a smartphone for no money beyond what the smartphone costs. Yeah, I have the free version of Caustic. Caustic is great. Yeah, and it's fun to play around in. And if I was like better at music, I could definitely make some like very legitimate good music on it. It's quite hard to get started in Caustic, I think. Like I'm not very yeah. good with Caustic. I'm not good at it either, but it's fun to noodle around. It's very, very capable. I know people yeah. who've made full albums in it and you wouldn't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely listen to like the demo tracks mm. and I'm like, oh, yep, this just sounds like, you know, it was made in reason or something 
I guess I will talk a little bit about my experience with mobile music production. Please do. I have no idea what your background with this stuff is. I guess probably my earliest encounter with it was with the program NanoLoop, which is for making chiptunes. And I think it was originally for just the original Game Boy. But by the time I got around to it, I spent like $80 and bought a cartridge for my Game Boy Advance so I could make music on my Game Boy Advance in NanoLoop. And it was fun and pretty cool, but I didn't love the interface. And I never really, it never really clicked for me, but it was always kind of like a fun toy to have around. Mm -hmm. That was almost equivalent to like buying a little Mm -hmm. piece of dedicated equipment. So it's not really in the spirit, but I mention it because you can use NanoLoop on a phone. You can. Uh, So the interface interface is way better. (laughs) It's so much better on a phone. I bought a Game Boy Micro entirely to use NanoLoop on because I thought it was adorable. And I still think it's adorable, but I can't make head or tail of NanoLoop. Yeah, it's adorable, but not practical. No, I wish it was Um, practical. But the (laughs) iOS app is really good and the interface is much easier to use. And the, the Android app's good too. It's the same thing. So I guess that was my first foray into it. And then it really wasn't until... Years later, when I wanted something like an MPC or an SP404, and I started looking into it, because I have, I do have an iPad, so mm-hmm. I do have access to these iOS things, uh, and I found uh, Beatmaker 2. When I get the music-making bug, it's probably the first thing that I go for, mm-hmm. because it has an intuitive interface, and it's on my iPad, and if I'm on a plane, I can just pull my iPad out and make a song my first ep was made on beatmaker 2 i think i used it mainly to record audio tracks into okay which it's really not made for and it was an incredibly laborious way to do it but because (laughs) i could do it on an ipad mini it felt like not real somehow right which made it okay i can't remember if i've talked about this before but i figured out that i wanted to make electronic music i think five or six years before i actually made any which is quite unlike me. And it was literally because I didn't realise it was possible to make electronic music in your house. I was in my then boyfriend's car and he had the Postal Service album Give Up on. And I was like, this is the music that I want to make. Right. Shame I'll never be able to make it because it must have been made in an enormous studio with lots of amazing equipment and you could never make music like this in your house, despite the fact that that's the whole thing with the Postal Service, right? Yeah, they mailed each other Yeah, tracks, yeah. I am not smart. <laughs> I was just like, there's no possible way I could ever do this. What a shame. I'm not technical enough. I don't have enough money or equipment. And then in 2015, after like five years of wistfully thinking about how I wished I could make music that sounded like the Postal Service, I mean, which I still wish, but at least I'm trying now, you know? At least now you know that you could, technically. I just tried a little bit harder and was a little bit more of a a sad boy. (laughs) Exactly. I think I actually started on an iPad mini, which I had been given as a birthday present. And at the time I was working quite closely doing keyboards with a musician called Darren Heyman who moves between kind of folk and electronic music and I started to see how he recorded in his home and was like oh okay it is possible to do this but I was still really intimidated by it and then a friend who was putting together a compilation of songs asked me if I wanted to contribute to it after someone dropped out and I was like now is the time I become the postal service And for some reason, it felt like if I did it on my iPad, it was okay if it was bad. Yeah, well, it's that that constraint thing that we always talk about, too. Yeah. 
limitations. Right. It's like, well, fuck you. I made it on my iPad. Oh, God. All of my bios and stuff from the time that I started making music are like, this was made on a single iPad app. This was made on a phone, which actually I'm still doing. So I don't know why I say Yeah, I think in Portland... We have a Films by Bicycle Festival, which is just a, a film festival of movies that were shot on a bicycle. Oh, cool. Or using a bicycle in like a major way mm-hmm. as part of the shooting apparatus, not like films about bicycles. There's an iOS film, like an iPhone film movement mm-hmm. as well, like people who make like, you know, studio quality films. The movie Tangerine, which is an amazing movie, which I recommend to everybody to go see, was shot in part on an iPhone, and also in part on a bicycle. Oh, cool. Yeah. Wow. And I saw it in like real theaters. It was a Mm -hmm. nationally released movie. Would you know? No, but I mentioned it because at the end of the movie, they had a little placard that said half this movie or whatever was shot on iPhone. Mm -hmm. I learned about the bicycle thing later, but they did the same thing you do where they're like, hey, this was shot on a phone. Fuck you. (laughs) I genuinely can't work out and I think about this a lot because we've talked about it on the podcast before I can't work out if I'm doing that because I'm proud of it or because I'm ashamed of it I mean same I have no idea which one it is same with all of my everything it's so weird why do we do it yeah what does it mean (laughs) I don't know but it certainly helps us make things Mm -hmm. (laughs) also I think some of it for me is that I want other people to know that it's possible to do that Yes, for sure. Because, I mean, I am kind of the archetypal, intimidated, music-making person. Like, even though I had a background in music, I felt like I couldn't possibly ever get into producing because I didn't know anybody who did it, and it just wasn't a thing people like me did. And Mm -hmm. somehow knowing that I had this thing already that could do all this stuff and could do it in a way that was easier to at least get started with than kind of professional standard things like Pro Tools or Logic or whatever um, made it possible for me to do that. And actually now, I mean, that's obviously less of a thing for me now. I do a lot of stuff in Ableton. I do some stuff in Logic. It's not so much an intimidation thing for me now. What I like about it now is that it kind of feels like it falls somewhere between hardware and software sense. It's like a thing that you can physically touch and move things around on the screen. And you're kind of engaging with it in a way that you can't necessarily with a desktop-based workstation unless you have like controllers and stuff. Yeah, well, and also it brings the limitations that you get from a hardware setup where it's like when I pull up Logic, when I use one of the big workstations, Logic is the one that I typically use. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, there's like 20,000 instruments that I could download right now or like a million effects Mm -hmm. or like there's a zillion different views I could have or whatever. And I just, I really like that in something Mm -hmm. like Beatmaker 2, it's like, well, okay, I have like basically 10 effects. Yeah. You know, like maybe 20. I don't know. Those are going to have to be good enough. And I have, you know, the samples that I've loaded on here or the synths that are already on here, which aren't that many because I only have so much room on my iPad. Mm-hmm. And it's good. It's like yeah. really helpful. It, like with any constraints, it just forces yeah. you to pay more attention to making shit. Yeah. I mean, I guess it kind of is the same thing. It's like the limitations were what made it less intimidating for me initially. And now they're a creative tool. Yeah, exactly. Like now I'm over the original hump and right. I wish I hadn't said hump. Well, um, but I know what you mean. But you know yeah. what I mean. The, uh, yeah, and it's the same thing that you get in hardware too, but it's just more accessible from mm. a monetary 
perspective for people. I was kind of thinking about it in the context of my PhD research, which is about ukulele players, which I think I've mentioned in passing on the podcast before. Well, and like ukulele has a reputation as being an easy to pick up and play instrument. Exactly. And a lot of my research has ended up being about how people use it to form an identity as a musician that they maybe didn't have before and that they've developed at a much, much later stage than people usually do. There's a book by David Hargreaves called Musical Identities, which is really, really interesting if this is the kind of thing that you find intriguing. Most people who take up an instrument in later adulthood played as a child and then dropped it. It's very unusual, apparently, to find someone who like is a musician who wasn't a musician from when they were relatively young. Right. And yet a lot of the people that I've met who have got really really into the ukulele later in life it's the first thing that they've ever kind of considered themselves able to play yeah a thing that comes up a lot in my conversations with them is do you feel like a musician if someone asked you if you were a musician what would you say and for a lot of people they not only didn't feel like a musician before they took up the ukulele it was just beyond like any imagination that they could ever have had that they could ever be any kind of musician right and for me i felt like a musician in 2015 but i certainly didn't feel like a producer yeah it felt like a completely closed area a lot of the culture surrounding it is really gatekeepery like if you go on gearsluts.com the name right. alone is like this is not for you <laughs> right yeah well and it just has this reputation as a very technical endeavor yeah So it's very much like programming. Making a song on your phone, it was so far from the concept that I had of a professional setup that I couldn't compare myself. It felt like I was just playing around until I wasn't just playing around anymore. So in many ways, it's the ukulele of production. This also reminds me of like four track tape culture Ah. as well. I'm just thinking about the really like, you know, in the 80s and 90s, you would have devices that Mm. were about the size of about the size of a laptop i guess but much thicker mm-hmm. and you know you would put a tape in there and there was four channels and you could you could record and like redub certain channels mm-hmm. over others and like individually master i mean a lot of like indie pop people certainly in the united states mm-hmm. would record full songs they would like bang out a drum track and then rewind and then on the next track they would record bass and then on the next track they would record guitar and then on the next track they would record singing Mm -hmm. and individually sort of master it there using the very simple you know basically mid-low high eq and then a Mm. master volume and that's it i can master it out to, to a tape and now i can give these tapes to my friends my favorite of montreal album is called early four track recordings cool for obvious reasons it did require that initial monetary investment mm-hmm. that a phone doesn't necessarily but it is that whole like oh well there's only three knobs mm-hmm. per track and i can just as long as i can play the instruments i can do it yeah i mean in a sense even people who use like loop pedals yeah where they like play live and then they like accompany themselves mm-hmm. are doing a kind of ad hoc production yeah. i think the culture surrounding live looping is like this is hard you'll find it hard if you do it yeah so. yeah <laughs> which is one That's reason true. i've never done it like i've always wanted to try but i'm too scared of it. yeah but also like i still get some of that like this is hard from the mobile music mm-hmm. stuff too depending on the app yeah very much depending on the app Beatmaker 2, like I learned mostly watching YouTube videos Mm. and I would watch like, here's how to recreate this hip hop beat in Beatmaker 2. And you know, it's like a 30 minute video where like they're going through how to do X, Y, and Z and it's Mm. not uncomplicated. But then you get like the propeller heads 
electronic music group who are also the people who made Reason. They have a mobile app called Figure, yeah. which kind of tries to be like a sort of light touch mm-hmm. way to make techno music, basically. I'm really bad with it because I can't get it to not just sound like the demos. Yeah, same. Yeah, for me, it's a little too on rails. Did you see Ranjit's Looptobers that he did with Figure? No, I did not. I don't know how to explain who he is. For the- Ranjit Bhatnagar is a, he's a sound artist. For literally 10 years, every February, he would do a thing where he would make, like fabricate a new musical instrument every day of the month. It's really cool. Uh, and I met him in a video games context. So that's who we're talking about here. Moon Milk, M-O-O-N milk.com. And I know him through Mastodon. And I started doing a thing in October where I was posting like music loops to my Instagram and then I would share them to Mastodon. Well, and all the loops were made on your phone. Yes, right? they were. They were all made in Auxy, which is an amazing app. It's so, so, so good. Anyway, he decided he was going to start doing Looptober as well. And he did a bunch of stuff in Figure which sounds nothing like figure. Like it doesn't sound like it was made in figure. I don't know right. how he did it. It's yeah. like I've tried to like imitate the stuff that he did and I can't figure out how he got there. It's yeah. like a mystery to me. So obviously it is possible to make things that aren't super on rails with it. Yeah, just Emma and I aren't good enough at yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not the postal service enough yet. Right. We talked earlier in the podcast and sort of alluded to certain problems with Android or like, well, it's probably not on Android because X, Y, Z, but we were going to talk about that later. Now it's later. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about Android and mobile music? Yes. So I feel like I've been sort of alluding to how accessible and immediate mobile music is, which is only really true if you have an iOS device, which is... Because for a really long time, Android was set up with a totally different scale of audio latency. My understanding is that, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, is that this refers to the time between when you touch the screen and the audio happens. Is that accurate? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And it was not built from the ground up in a way that was efficient for audio latency. So unless you had a super, super high-powered Android device, you wouldn't want to make music on it because you would press a key and it would be like half a second before you would hear the sound. The sound, yeah. And so consequently, even though they've been working on like iterating and improving the audio latency, and I think most Android devices are pretty good now, there isn't the infrastructure for apps in the same way. People just didn't bother to build apps for Android music making because the vast majority of devices just... right wouldn't be able to use them. Right. So maybe in like five years, there will be a lot of apps. But right now, there's not. This has been my hope for several years already. And I don't know if it's... I think it's also possibly because there's like, there's obviously a much wider variety of device sizes and shapes and speeds and performance. But also, I think it really was in the last calendar year that you're sort of default middle of the road android device became capable of low latency audio. okay i did not know that maybe mm. in the last two years tops but we're really at like the beginning of the era okay. of android being able to support this sort of thing apparently 87 percent of people with smartphones worldwide are on android 87 percent yeah international and non-english speaking mm. markets are like a huge mm. portion of that iOS only has a 12% market share. 
that's like nothing. Yep. I'm here banging on about how accessible and easy to obtain and stuff this is. And it's inaccessible right. to the vast majority of people who might feel like making music on a phone. It's really good to know that it's only in the last year or so that like the standard has become that high. There are a few really good apps which I've kind of collected from other people because I will occasionally get messages from people being like, recommend me some Android music making apps. <laughs> Caustic, right. which is also on iOS, is really, really good. And it's a very like serious yeah. music making Yeah, app. I like Caustic. I, that's what I play with mm. when I'm just on my phone and I want to make some music. Fruity Loops, oh. FL Studio has an Android app as well, which is like the number one paid music oh. app on the Android store. So Android has Pixie Tracker, which is good for chiptune. Korg, who make a bunch of amazing apps for iOS, have, I think, one app on Android, which is Chaosolator, which is another one that's kind of like Figure, which is very much like right. on Rails. But I know a lot of people who really like it. Korg also had released a little synth DAW thing for the Nintendo DS. Oh, they have two for DS. MO1D, which is like uh, an emulator of, well, kind of like a very, very basic emulator of the Korg M1. And also, I think DS10, which is more of like a sort of from scratch analog, like sound sculpting synth. Mm -hmm. I think they've also released Gadget for the Nintendo Switch in the last year. I believe you're right, yeah. Gadget's like my main mobile workstation, which is currently only on iOS and Switch, which is weird. <laughs> and it's kind of similar to Caustic, but the UI for me is much easier to use. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe that will appear on Android in the next while. I think it's not impossible. Basically, I would suggest if you have ever considered making electronic music and you have a phone and you have felt intimidated by larger options try it there's a bunch of awesome stuff i will put links to various things for various platforms in the show notes yeah i would recommend trying as many different free mm. things either completely free or demo based as I possible because it can take you until like the 10th piece of software mm -hmm. to find something that really clicks yes for you. it can you really have to find the thing that like mm -hmm. works for your yep. brain which is i think true of many things yeah it's just like picking a programming environment or whatever it's probably not you it's probably the app Unless you're me, in which case I'm just not postal service enough still, even after all these years. If only you had someone who you collaborated with remotely on a regular basis who lived very far away from you. Is this the postal service of podcasts? Maybe it is. Are we sad enough? I think, I think we sad. are. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody should just be making music all the time. And I think this is a good way of making music all the time. Thank you so much for listening to us talk about nature's pro tools. This has been Too Much Not Enough. I'm Emma Winston. You can find me on Mastodon at friend.camp forward slash at deerful. That's deer like the animal F-U-L or at deer underscore full on Twitter or at emmawinston.me. And I'm Darius Kazemi, aka tinysubversions.com or you can find me on Mastodon at darius at friend.camp.